You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So once again, uh, very similar to yesterday, we have lots and lots and lots to cover thanks to the uh, brand new team that has been assembled trying to find me some news and information and also I uh, somehow have been able to turn my brain off to my first two alarms. So um, getting up an hour late for two days in a row means I'm going to have to do rapid fire. So that's the plan for today. But I want to start by painting a picture because I, I, it seems like we kind of understand what's being built. But for a lot of people, all we're doing is we're taking the ball away from one of the most talented quarterbacks in all of football and turning it over to some 250-pound fullback-looking guy who most people think is a three-yards-and-down guy behind an offensive line that doesn't know how to run block and uh, two tight ends that have proven nothing. I think it's fair to have that concern, possibly, but let's look at it from a different perspective. Mike Pettin slowly started since he got here to change the identity of this team. When Dom Capers was here, he kind of moved away from the big and bulky types, the B.J. Raji types, and, he, and it was it was after Colin Kaepernick ran all over the Green Bay Packers, he decided that the NFL was getting faster and we needed to adapt. And the defense started getting smaller and the defense started getting faster. And there came a time when the Green Bay Packers, defense in particular, but really the identity of the team was that it was soft. And that really became a problem for a while. It was soft, it was finesse, it was borderline cute. And Packer, Packer fans and the Packers defense and the Packers offense didn't like that label, but it was what it was. And we had one guy, Mike Daniels, who was screaming and was trying to be a bully. And I think Clay Matthews was quietly kind of a bully, but for some reason nobody ever called him out on it. But I do appreciate his time here when he uh, tried to sack people by their heads. And occasionally his knee would somehow also drift up toward the face as he sacked guys, I'm just saying I appreciated that a little bit. He's one of the sneakiest, dirty players in all of football. But anyways, the point is nobody was afraid of the Green Bay Packers ever. And even the Packers' offense was talented. And I don't want to say that people didn't fear the Green Bay Packers' offense, because of course they did, but the fear was different. The fear was this is a really good team. It's kind of like me going up a chess up against a chess grand wizard or whatever they call themselves with, you know, $1,000 on the line. The, the fear is more, I don't have a chance. This is unfair. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do to try to stop this. It's not walking into a lion cage fear. It's more like I'm, bowl, I'm, I'm one strike away from bowling a 300 fear, like, oh, please, come on, come on. But again, with the defense slowly changing, we got away from the Clay Matthews types, the 250, 255, 260-pound pass rushers to the 270-pound edge rushers. We've got guys that fire off the edge, getting 10-plus sacks a game that can also line up as nose tackles. we got guys like Jair Alexander who are, you know, 
look like Mighty Mouse. But if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know one of my favorite things of all time that any Packer has ever done was the time that a tight end decided to get chippy with Jair. Gave him a little shove. He turned around without hesitation and punched him right in the neck. Kevin King is violent. He gets hurt a lot, but I'll tell you why. You know why he gets hurt? Because he uses his body like a missile. The defense has slowly been transforming. And I'm not saying these, these are the biggest and the baddest, but they've slowly been transforming to a much more violent group. And it's almost by necessity. It's not talk. Nobody really, I mean, Jair and Kevin may be a little bit are talkers, but none of these guys are really talkers. They're just guys that are going to, by virtue of their being, they're going to hurt you. They're guys that you don't really want to get hit by. And you compound that by the fact that they play football in Lambeau Field. You have football teams that have to go to freezing cold temperatures and get hit by these guys. And now we have a head coach, an offensive coordinator, who are trying to build something similar on offense. Yeah, there's a lot of finesse and there's a lot of cute stuff, a lot of misdirection, a lot of mind games. And so you have that layer still that Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy brought of playing an offense you don't know how to stop. But at the same time, that fear is going to be put on the back burner as you're driving up to Lambeau Field in the middle of the night in negative 10 degree weather, knowing that this is an offense that has been building up offensive linemen that simply want to hurt you. I posted a video in the Facebook group you should go watch. It's a nice little compilation of highlights from everybody. And since it's hard to find highlights on some of these later guys, I would suggest you go watch it in the um, Facebook group or go like the Facebook page. But in particular, John Runyon and Simon Stepaniak have highlights that are simply them for no reason at all hitting guys that are down. And I'm not, you know, sometimes when guys are down, you still block them. You'll throw your body on them, whatever. I'm talking about bludgeoning them just because they're still moving. I'm talking about a team that is going to be running the ball down your throat. And to cap it off, we've got a 250-pound running back that is going to smack into you over and over and over again. You cannot out-physical on either side of the ball the Green Bay Packers. Now, it's going to be up to Matt LaFleur to pull all this together offensively and defensively. But I personally don't mind that the frozen tundra is going to be the most feared place in all of football. That doesn't bother me so much. And again, there's the fear of this is a hard team to play, but there's also a genuine fear of of my well-being that takes over a person who has to go there and play in freezing temperatures knowing that this is really, really going to hurt. That more than anywhere, people, people go to California, they can't wait to get there. Teams are flying out to Cali, they got beautiful sunshine, they don't want to leave to go play in Vegas, to go play in Florida, to go play in New York and see the sights. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing but pain waiting for you in Green Bay. There's nothing but suffering. And Matt LaFleur right now is building a team that's going to make sure that there is nothing waiting for you but pain and suffering. He is building the most violent team he possibly can. Not just for its own sake. It all comes together for a purpose. This is all, the the, the plan is also to culminate into one of the most successful offenses we see in the NFL today. It's the reason he was hired. This this particular system has a lot of success. There are essentially two branches of, of offense that seem to be having success right now. There's the Andy Reid tree, and then there's the Shanahan tree. Of course, now we're starting to see Baltimore and, and the Saints and some other things, but for the most part, the up-and-coming teams have been from those trees. 
So again, it's not just big for the sake of big. Just like Pettin was trying to build the AFC East version of a defense that we've seen over the years, the New York Jets, the Buffalo Bill. Terrible football teams, but teams that have over the years had some very, very scary defenses. Rex Ryan defenses. When you go out to play the Jets, you're probably going to beat them, but you're going to be, be glad when that game is over. And so I know it's not what we're used to. We've always wanted a really good run game. We've always wanted a really good defense, but at the end of the day, it comes down to offense. At the end of the day, it comes down to passing the ball. At the end of the day, it comes down to a really good quarterback with really good wide receivers and a pretty solid offensive line. Keep my quarterback up so he can throw to our wide receivers and we're going to beat anybody, anywhere, anytime. And there, there's a part of me that wonders if any of this is going to work. Maybe we should just bail and default back to what we do. We still got Aaron Rodgers for a couple years. Forget Matt LaFleur. Forget the future. Go out, stack up wide receivers, and see if we can just win with Matt LaFleur doing his best Mike McCarthy impression for the next two to three years. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe we can just convince Aaron Rodgers to play until he's 50, and then we, we just don't have to face reality at all. We can be like all these other teams that are terrible year after year, who simply try to win right now and deny the future. I saw there was some kind of a stat that said something to the effect of out of the last 41 quarterbacks drafted, 40 of them have started in the first two years. Now that is a a indication that the Green Bay Packers are very serious, and that's one of the things we presumably are supposed to talk about today, but I don't have a lot of time. There's a lot of evidence that they really, really like them, and you could look at that and say, well, that means they're planning on starting them either, you know, obviously this year or next year. The other way to look at this is most teams don't have foresight. Most teams are just swinging wildly. Every year when I do my draft coverage and do my mock drafts, I give quarterbacks to teams that shouldn't be drafting quarterbacks because they're not ready for quarterbacks because I know that's what teams do. And it's wrong. Half of these team, half of these quarterbacks need development and nobody is giving it to them and their careers are being wasted. These teams have no offensive line. They have no weapons. They have no run game. These poor quarterbacks are going to be ruined. Maybe it's not that this is telling us that the Packers are changing their tactics are gonna and are gonna be like every other team. Maybe this is telling us that the Packers are just a better franchise. Which is something we all knew prior to this draft. But because the draft didn't go the way the media told you it was supposed to go, suddenly Brian Gutekunst is a moron. Because Brian Gutekunst didn't do what Mel Kuyper said, Brian Gutekunst must be a dummy. I'm sorry, when did Mel Kuyper become a better scout and GM than Brian Gutekunst? When did that happen? I thought we were all happy with the last draft class. I thought we were happy with the job Brian Gutekunst did. I thought we were glad with, with what he has assembled in the last two years. Do you remember that Brian Gutekunst is brand new and Mike Pettin is brand new and Matt LaFleur is brand new and 70% of this team has been here for only maybe two years and we won 13 games last year and we're one game away from the Super Bowl and yet we don't trust Brian Gutekunst to be smarter than Mel Kuyper because A.J. Dillon was going to be available in the third round? Somehow you know that, despite the fact... Here's the funny thing. You also knew that the Packers would not take a running back in the second round, especially not A.J. Dillon. You knew that until you didn't know it anymore. Just like you don't know who would have taken A.J. Dillon if the Packers didn't. Just like you don't know that DeGuara would have been available in the next round. Which, by the way, after the third round, we don't have a pick until the fifth round. So we would not have gotten DeGuara. And I don't care if PFF had him ranked 212th or whatever. Brian Gutekunst did not have him ranked 212th. Some media pundits had Jordan Love in the second round. Brian Gutekunst did not. Matt LaFleur did not. 
Now, if you and your scouting ability is better than Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst and his entire team, fine. Stand on your convictions. I have no problem with your personal assessment disagreeing with with Brian Gutekunst. I do have a problem with you saying that because their vision doesn't line up with the Draft Network and their podcasts, that to me is a problem. Because Brian Gutekunst would not hire Trevor Sikama if he applied. I I mean no disrespect. Those guys work real hard. They're doing a great job. I love it, what they do. I learn a ton from these guys. But they're not on the same level as Brian Gutekunst. Just like I said, if Brian Gutekunst retired today and started a NFL Draft podcast, it would be the biggest and best podcast around. In fact, some of the best guys out there, like Michael Lombardi, are guys that were in personnel rooms making personnel decisions. And by the way, those are the guys saying this was not a bad decision. Michael Lombardi said this was a great pick for the Green Bay Packers. Michael Lombardi is a former personnel guy. He was in the draft rooms. I'm not saying this is going to be a great draft. I have no idea. And again, if you don't like him, that's fine. I have my own reservation. I I came out and said I didn't like Jordan Love because I'm worried he's going to be Trubisky. I thought A.J. Dillon was a three yards and down guy. DeGuaro was, I mean, he was not super low. He was on my second tier, but nowhere near the top of my second tier, and not even on my first tier, which wasn't even that high of a first tier. So my own personal assessment doesn't line up with the Green Bay Packers, but I know that I don't care about my assessment as much as I care about Brian. This is a game, as far as I'm concerned. It concern it worries me, especially since I didn't see it and nobody else saw it, so it does concern me, I'm going to be honest. But if I sit down and I'm watching, I'm going, I don't know, this DeGuara guy is not great, and Brian Gutekunst walks into my house and comes downstairs and goes, hey, this DeGuara guy is great, let me show you why. You think I'm going to argue with him? I'm not. And all this nonsense about, well, nobody would have traded for love, nobody wanted love is a lie, nobody would have taken Dylan is a lie, nobody w- nobody else liked DeGuara except the Green Bay Packers is a lie. Nobody has any idea when any of these guys would have gone. And again, I can go through the draft and look at all these guys that got picked that you thought never would have gone that early. I mean, Damon Arnett went at 19. That guy has never been in a first-round mock before. Austin Jackson went at 18. If he wouldn't have gone there and the Packers would have taken Austin Jackson at 30, people would have been freaking out saying he could have been there at the end of the second round. I wouldn't have been happy with the pick, but the point stands... That the mock draft said Austin Jackson was not going in the first round. Jordan Brooks was like a fourth round prospect. Now in the later days, it started, there was a lot of it was the same thing that happened with uh, Jair. He was a second round guy, and then all of a sudden there was hype like, oh, he might be a first round guy. Like last minute, some intel got out, and all of a sudden everybody loves Jordan Brooks. That's usually a telltale sign somebody's really high on him. A team kind of leaked that they like him, so then media members pretend that they like him, which which is hilarious, by the way. So I've I've talked about this before. People in the media will do their own assessments. That's true. However, what happens is when it becomes evident that teams like a certain player and the media finds out instantly, suddenly the media likes them. If, if the Green Bay Packers were to tip their board toward these media members, suddenly, every, suddenly there would be a real big uptick in um, love for A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, Jordan Love. Because the media even knows they don't know as much as these teams. And you're going to start seeing, just as you did, all this love for Jordan Brooks. It's weird. How did this all of a sudden happen? Nobody liked Jordan Brooks, and suddenly he was this great prospect. Now, people are still making fun of the Seattle Seahawks for taking him in the first round. But because the media found out that teams liked him, suddenly this is easily a second-round prospect. They know that they don't know what they're talking about. 
And as soon as they find out that these teams who are much better at evaluating talent than the media is, once they find out that teams like them, they're going to pretend they like them. Noah Igbenogany, Clyde edwards Elair, kind of a first-ish round guy. I mean, A.J. Dillon wasn't even the first kind of surprising guy to go in the second. Cam, Cam Akers was the 52nd pick in the second round. I mean, you got, and there's, there's so many that you can go, Jalen Hurts to the Eagles, there's so many head scratchers. People are freaking out about that too. Van Jefferson went to the Rams in the second round. Van Jefferson, I, I didn't like Van Jefferson at all. It's another guy, you go, well, Van Jefferson would have been available in the fourth round. Nope. He didn't even make it to the Packers in the second round. But if the Packers would have taken him in the second round, that's what you would have heard, isn't it? That's what people would have been telling you. But why would you take Van Jefferson in the second round? You could have got him in the fifth round. You have no idea what and who these teams like. And the idea that 31 teams are going to perfectly fall in line with all the mock drafts that you've been seeing over the last six months, but the Packers are the only dummies that don't know the reality. Which, in in your mind, the reality is the mock drafts that you've been playing with for months. we got to get out of that mode. Listen, up until the draft, those are games. We're playing games for fun. Mock drafts are games. The media telling you things, it's kind of a game. You can learn a little bit of stuff, and it kind of forms it so that we're kind of close to what's going to happen, right? I mean, to be honest, I mean, look at this. It's Joe Burrow, Chase Young. I mean, it's pretty. it gets pretty close, but it's going to start to break down. Because there's only so much information that we can know, and teams have different information, and they have a lot more and better information, and also much better at evaluating that information and using that information than we are. And we're playing games. These are fun little video games that we play called mock drafts. When the draft starts, we got to turn that off. we got to turn that part of our brain off, because we, think that th- we, we suddenly think that that's reality. It's not reality, man. That's fantasy. Those are jokes. Those are games. I mean, you're doing mock drafts where you're getting first-round guys in the fifth round. It's, it's time to turn that off and come to find out what the reality is. The reality is A.J. Dillon is a second-round prospect. Now, he could easily be, I mean, if the Packers don't take him, there's obviously there's only two picks left. He would have gone in the third round. And I'm sure there are some teams head scratching their head like, dude, I wouldn't have touched A.J. Dillon. But, uh, but there's also the aspect of value based on what kind of an offense you have. Again, Jordan Love has higher value to the Green Bay Packers than any team because that is where Jordan Love is most valuable. That is where he can be his best. Right? Jordan Love is is the most valuable to teams that already have really good starters that can allow him to sit for a while. That only applies to a small fraction of teams, and none of them as good as the Green Bay Packers. The Saints are maybe the only other team. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be another team, although Tom Brady does not have the same kind of skill set. Neither does Drew Brees, by the way. With what Jordan Love does and his mobility and throwing off platform and all that stuff, you don't see Breeze or anybody doing that. I mean, maybe you can learn behind Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson's going to be around a while. There is nobody else. The Green Bay Packers, if I'm Jordan Love, there's only one place I want to go, and that's Green Bay. Well, that's not true. I mean, I want to start. I believe in myself. But if, if, I, if I believe in the idea that what I need is to sit a couple years behind one of the greatest quarterbacks of all times who has a similar skill set to what I have, and after two years, possibly three, whatever, I get a chance to start. Green Bay is the only team on this list. A.J. Dillon, with the style of offense, trying to run the ball more and more, trying to find a guy that's going to carry the ball 20 times a game. It's a fit. DeGuara, the H-back, looking for that exact prototype. I mean, again, Adam Troutman went later in the third round. A lot of people liked Adam Troutman more, but that's not the same kind of tight end that we're talking about. Harrison Bryant went in the fourth round. 
A lot of people had Harrison Bryant as the number one or two tight end because he's one of those tall, skinny, fast guys. The Packers don't need tall, skinny, fast. Nobody would have complained, by the way. If we would have taken Harrison Bryant, everybody would be like, oh, hey, there you go, probably the best tight end of the draft. We got him in the third round. Bing, bang, boom, bow. Take that, world. The problem is we're not thinking through the right lens. We're just looking at guys as guys, and we just put numbers on them as value, just general value as as tight ends, period. But the fact of the matter is every team has got different value. What is Troutman's value to the Packers compared to Troutman's value to the Browns compared to Troutman's value to the Saints? It's a different number depending on the team, which is why that's actually something I've been trying to build for some time, which is good, which would take forever, and I don't think I have the time. But ideally, if you're going to be honest about building a board, every team would have an individual board because every team has individual needs. No question, there are certain teams that are looking at DeGuara going, I would never would have touched them. Because the, the value of a DeGuara to some teams who don't use tight ends in that way is zero. They have no interest in taking DeGuara. But it's different for the Packers. So again, when we use these general boards that just say good tight end, bad tight end, great tight end, you know, all pro, blah, 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 blah. That that fits in a general sense, but you got to look at it in an individual sense. Josiah DeGuara, as I said yesterday, is exactly what Matt LaFleur has been waiting for. He wants to have that guy that he's going to be able to split out and run routes and all that stuff, and he got that in Jay Sternberger last year. He's still looking for that in-line, H-back, down-blocking. I mean, it's kind of like Mercedes, but the problem with Mercedes is he's, he's, he's just an old-school mauler. And he's got the blocking down, but there's so much more to it. I mean, it's, it's a blocking tight end, but it's a guy that's still very fast, very mobile, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he tried doing it with Jace last year, and it works great as far as when you have him slip out and run routes, because that's his whole thing. But actually trying to get him to block, that's not really his thing. I mean, he did an admirable job. I'm not saying he was bad at it, but the point is now the picture comes into full full view. Now, how good these guys play in their role is a separate issue, but the point is now we can execute. And it's not even a matter of, is Jay Sternberg going to be as good as Jimmy Graham? Is, is, uh, is Josiah DeGuara going to be as good as Mercedes Lewis? Because as good is a relative question. As good at what? If we just Again, if we just use these generalized, systematic grades... Mercedes might be better, but there's zero question in my mind. When you have Matt LaFleur building a system saying, this is what I want you guys to do, you're going to take Josiah DeGuara and, and Jay Sternberger because it's exactly what he needs to make it work. These guys fit perfectly. And just in that, I have trust that they're going to be able to be at least serviceable in their endeavors. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff... Yeah. As long as you check the boxes, you're going to be able to work out. That's why I'm so excited about DeGuara. You don't have to be a guy that runs a 4-4. You don't have to be super tall. You don't have to be any of these things. By virtue of the system itself, the misdirection is going to cause, and we saw this at Cincinnati, by virtue of the system we run, he's just going to be open. Depending on the play call, depending on the situation, depending on what we've got going on, there's so again, everything looks like everything else. So there are going to be times when he's just going to slip out, and there's nobody that's going to be there by virtue of the design. And the point is, we've now got a guy that can handle the blocking responsibilities when he's actually going to be blocking, but when he slips out, he is a very light, very lean, and very fast blocking tight end. I mean, compared to like a Mercedes Lewis, you watch him catch a ball, and I did this in my breakdown, it, it, it sounds like nothing, but you watch him catch, and he's very fluid. He's got great balance. Some of these guys, these bigger kind of clunky tight ends, they catch and they stumble. They got stone feet. You watch Mercedes Lewis, and I, I, I got much, nothing but love and respect for Mercedes Lewis, but it takes him a little bit of while to get that train up to speed. 
This is the kind of guy you get him out in space and he looks like a wide receiver. He's going to catch that pass fluidly. He's going to get his feet planted. He's going to get north and south fast. And he gets up to speed in no time. It's not about being an elite guy that's going to go down the field and, and use great routes to get away from a linebacker or a safety and get open down the field with his blazing 4-2 speed. It's about, we, we, we just, we're trying to build something and we need the right parts to make this thing run. And I believe we have the parts now. We're still walk, working on the offensive line, which I'm starting to feel more and more comfortable with these guys. I'm excited to see tackles being converted to guards in and of itself. It's like, dude, this is like old school Packers right here. This is what we do. We take unathletic tackles that people look at and go, eh, he's never really going to make it as a tackle. He doesn't have, I mean, he's, he's a big, mean, ferocious guy that has decent agility because he's a tackle, but he doesn't have enough to be an NFL tackle. But you slide him inside, he's got more than enough agility, and he's still just this big, violent football player. I mean, that's, that, that is the trademark Green Bay Packers move. We're going to take tackles that slide because they're too un- unathletic to be NFL tackles, and people look at them and go, eh, it's not going to work, and they say, oh, guess what, you're playing guard now. Classic. And again, we have to assume that what we're building are guys that can run Matt LaFleur's system. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to take over. It might be some time. I don't think any of them are challenging our tackles because none of these guys we drafted are tackles. But again, I don't know if Lane makes it very much longer. We've already got Elton, who in his first year has made a big impact. We're going to use a second-round pick. These are all six-round picks, but still. Billy, we paid a bunch of money, but he's not been great, so I have to assume that's not going to work forever. So most of these guys, are, are, I would assume the line is going to stay in place at least through 2020. But moving forward, we're slowly building this new offensive line, which again is going to be all a part of this new identity. I've been saying for years how this is one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines in all of football. They're terrible at run-blocking, though. I think that's going to change a little bit. Now, pass blocking, no matter what your system is, is still the most important thing. That's, that's true always and forever. You have to be able to protect the quarterback. But when you're a team that is slowly building toward running the ball 20-plus, 30-plus times a game, I mean, you're talking about really running the ball, and then the pass plays tend to lean more toward get-the-ball-out-quickly type plays, you don't really need the... Again, with Mike McCarthy, what was it? These guys, remember how unbelievable it was how many times the offensive line actually made highlight reels because they would block for Aaron Rodgers literally for about nine seconds I mean they they would coordinate this Aaron Rodgers and the offensive line worked on scramble drills Aaron Rodgers is a master because him and his offensive line worked on when this thing breaks down I step you know he would bait people to go this way so that he could step up and then the offensive line would just smack him I mean they would work this out so that he can basically stay in the pocket for about six, seven, eight seconds before he broke the pocket and extended it for another two, three seconds. Masterful job, but the point is that's what we're trying to do away with. Enough with that. This this is, we, we've got, I mean, it's great when things don't work out to be able to have a guy that, I mean, granted, at this point he doesn't do anything anyways. It's try to extend the play, nobody's open, throw the ball away. So let's try to get away from that. I mean, it was great when it worked, it doesn't work anymore. Let's focus on building up a system in which guys can get open, we get the ball out quick, 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 quick. You don't need to be as good. I mean, even guys like Billy Turner can be really good pass blockers if they only have to hold up for two, three seconds. It's part of the reason Tom Brady never really got lit up. You, you can't sack a guy when he gets the ball out in two seconds every single play because they just run these dumb little slant routes, and boom, there's a guy, and he catches it, and it's eight yards, and they just keep doing that all the way down the field. I mean, literally, the best offensive line, the, the best way to protect your quarterback is getting the ball out quick. It's part of the reason why that's such a prominent thing. You got these long drives, wearing down the defense, running the ball a ton, and when the ball comes out, it's a six-yard completion. 
and the in the ability, which is one of the defensive coordinator's biggest and most important jobs, is to get to the quarterback. But every time you see this, and I always worry about this when the Packers go up against a team like this, essentially you're neutralizing the pass rush. Imagine when Chicago comes in. The biggest fear you have is Khalil Mack. When Minnesota comes in, Daniil Hunter is the biggest fear. And then the deep safeties, right? Which is a problem when you're a team that likes to throw the ball deep. You're going to be sitting behind the pocket, under pressure, and you're going to try to throw it against safety. That's a nightmare. Now, the Lions, you could sit there all day. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, there are some teams where if you can, if, if the Bears come in and you can neutralize Khalil Mack by getting out the ball quickly, they don't have a chance. What are they going to do? They don't have corners. They've got some decent offensive linemen, so it's or defensive linemen, so it might be a little bit hard to run, but probably not. We've never had that big of a problem. Just run away from Khalil, it'll be fine. Point is, there's there's logic behind all this. It's not just a mishmash, and it's not going back to the 1980s, which people keep talking about. Stop playing dumb like you don't see teams that are running this system and being successful just because you're angry. I understand you're angry. I get it. That's fine. Whatever. But stop saying random things that you know aren't true just to try to be a smart aleck. Oh, cool. We're running a 1990s system. Great. Wonder if Mike Allstott's available. <laughs> Mike Allstott was such a beast, man. <laughs> I wouldn't even be mad. But anyways, I wanted to paint that. It's already 5 o'clock, but I can't stop, so... Let's take a break, and uh, we haven't even started getting into some of the news. i got to get rolling here. We'll look at a couple other things. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Tell you what, but if I keep getting overwhelmed with this amount of content, I'm going to have to start doing two-a-days. <laughs> Where, what, what do we do? Um, let's take a look at Jordan Love. There's a lot of talk about Jordan Love and speculation. And one of the things that gets me excited is, again, the media perception is that Jordan Love isn't that good. He's probably never going to become much of anything. Maybe if he sits for a couple years, he'll meet his full potential. But in general, that's probably not the case. The problem is, it's not a problem, and that evaluation could absolutely be correct. And I understand Deshaun Kaiser was a Packers pick, and the Packers like Brett Hunt. I understand all that. That did happen. But we also drafted Demarius Randall and uh, Quentin Rollins and then drafted Jair. Does that automatically mean Jair is going to be garbage? When we traded up in the first round and got Jair, do we know he's going to be garbage because we took Demarius Randall? No, we don't know that. Do we know Aaron Jones was going to be garbage because he's a late-round pick? Because the Packers never have success with running backs? Because we've had a long history 
of drafting guys, playing them as running backs like Ty Montgomery or, or whoever, and they're just mediocre and not that. No, it doesn't mean that. That is, that is no bearing on, on anything today. Most draft picks are terrible. Again, one or two good picks in a draft class is pretty standard. So if Jordan Love doesn't pan out, that's kind of just what the odds are telling us is going to happen regardless. But the thing that gets me excited is how much they really, really wanted Jordan Love. The Green Bay Packers are telling us, with all this news coming out, that they do not agree with the assessment of some, some. Some people have been saying that this is a great move for the Packers for a long time. Some people, again, have come out later and said that this was a great decision. But some of the background story, um, I want to play this for you. It is a thing from Ian Rappaport about Jordan Love. You probably already knew this, but again, I just want to hammer this point about how much the Green Bay Packers really believe in this guy. This isn't just, this goes beyond the Packers saying, well, if a guy's there and he's available, you always got to consider. They were targeting Jordan Love because they genuinely believe he is the quarterback of the future. That was not my assessment. That was not your assessment. That was not some people's assessment, although it was some. But it was the Green Bay Packers assessment. They genuinely believe this is the guy. And again, you can see that based on their actions. Let me play this for you right quick. They were adamant about getting a quarterback. It's not just like, well, if one fell to them, they were going to. No, the Packers wanted Jordan Love so much so they actually had deals late in the first round to move up with the Seahawks. That obviously ended up not being necessary because they moved up ahead of them and ended up taking Jordan Love. There was really no one else, as far as I can tell, Andrew, who was going to come up for him. The Colts, there were rumored. From my understanding, the Colts never made any calls. This was the Packers just making sure that whatever happened, they got their guy. He's clearly a developmental quarterback. The skills are there. Everybody unanimously loved how he threw the football, loved the athleticism, loved the potential. He's just not really going to be able to play for a year or two. That's why he's so perfect for Green Bay. And the reason the organization in its entirety has confidence in this is because they've seen it before. This is the same thing that happened to Aaron Rodgers. By the way, Rodgers and Love have connected, and according to Malifor, told Mike Silver this, they still have in- incredible confidence in Rodgers that he'll be there long-term. This just about developing the future. Music is annoying, but, you know, it's just one of those things that were showing highlights, and they got to just blare music, so you can't even hear Rappaport, but there you go. Again, if, if you just don't trust Brian Gutekunst and his, eva- his ability to evaluate talent, then, you know, and th- that's the thing. Listen, if they would have taken a wide receiver, the same people that say they don't trust Brian Gutekunst would have trusted Brian Gutekunst. This isn't about you not trusting him. This is about him not doing what you wanted him to do. And so you're going to say he's a dummy and doesn't know what he's doing because you know what to do, and he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Again, I don't know if this is going to be a good pick. I'm just trying to get you to understand the flawed logic here. Not trusting a GM makes sense after several years of bad picks. I don't trust John Schneider because he has been a terrible GM for about, my goodness, how long has it been now? Five years, six years of just horrific drafting? That team has eroded down to nothing. So I don't trust John Schneider. I don't have a reason not to trust Brian Gutekunst's evaluation yet. Let's wait and see. Of course there's been bad picks. and Every single team in history has had bad picks. But look at the team and what it is compared to what it was before he got here. It is night and day better. Some of that is including free agency. Some of that is draft picks. Are you upset about Darnell Savage? Are you upset about Jair Alexander? Are you upset about Elton Jenkins? And this is still early on in the process. Remember, almost every single rookie is, is, is bad. 
So we got to see, that's why they say you got to wait three years. He hasn't even had three years yet. So we can't even evaluate his first class until after this coming year. So to, to bail on Gutekunst because he drafted Jordan Love before we've ever even seen him throw a football once, that's not how this works, man. And again, you can be mad, but be mad for the right reasons. And don't say silly things. Um, there was some further notes and information in here. Um, here's a note that says, Goot was focused on Love for months. He called Matt Wells at Texas Tech last year, and he went personally to see Love play against LSU. Now, some people had pointed out on Twitter, if you go watch LSU and look at the, they showed the score and it was like, oh, wow, you believe, you really like Love after this? Dude, it's LSU versus Utah State. Of course, the score is 700 to 4. Are you kidding me? But if you actually go and watch it, it's, 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 it's impressive. These are some of the best defensive backs in the country. This is one of the, I mean, it, it was the best team in football. But you watch Jordan Love go toe-to-toe with this team. It wasn't perfect. But similar to A.J. Dillon, if you're looking at him and judging him based on how incompetent his offensive line is, and I'm talking about Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon, who had terrible offensive line, and then try to imagine that with an offensive line that can actually block, again, for both, Imagine Jordan Love with actual receivers in a scheme that makes sense, which he had in 2018 when he was one of the best college quarterbacks. It changes a little bit. And again, that's the difference between media members and fans who don't have a clue what they're talking about in Brian Gutekunst. Brian Gutekunst watched LSU and he said, this guy has got it. Fans and certain media members watch that and they go, oh, the score is 704. <laughs> because the score is up to the quarterback, right? That's why Joe Burrow is number one and Jordan Love shouldn't even be drafted. Because all it is is a quarterback that matters as far as points. Come on now. Anyways, again, I'm barely scratching the surface on this. Hopefully I can actually wake up at a reasonable time tomorrow so we can kind of carve through some more stuff. But uh, once again, I am extremely late and really got to get going here. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.